We want to hear from you. Help us determine which books to read on the Sleepy Bookshelf by voting on our website, sleepybookshelf.com. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. I'm your host, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me this evening. Tonight we'll be returning to the great big treasury of Beatrix Potter. But before we do that, take a moment to breathe and relax. Stretch out and scrunch your shoulders right up to your ears. Now drop them down again. Take the deepest breath you have taken all day. And when you're ready, sigh it all out. Next time you inhale, mentally collect all your worries and concerns in your mind. And when you exhale, allow them to melt away. You can come back to them tomorrow. But for now, all you need to do is get a good night's rest. Last time we were together, we heard three stories. The first was the very famous tale of Peter Rabbit, in which a naughty little bunny named Peter defied his mother's wishes and wriggled under the gate into Mr. McGregor's garden to eat the vegetables. When he was caught by the old man, he was chased all around and lost his new shoes and jacket in the process. That night, he was so sick, he went to bed with a chamomile tea while his sisters had milk, bread, and black currants. In the next story, the tale of Squirrel Nutkin, an impertinent little squirrel wouldn't stop telling riddles to a grumpy old owl. His friends were coming to Owl Island every day to collect nuts for the winter and giving the old brown owl a gift. But Squirrel Nutkin was determined to get on the owl's nerves until eventually the owl took him inside, ready to eat him. Squirrel Nutkin pulled himself free so hard he lost half his tail and never told a riddle again. In the last story, a poor old tailor in Gloucester was making a cherry red coat and waistcoat for the mayor for his wedding on Christmas morning. But he ran out of twist and then fell ill with a fever for three days. Simpkin, his cat, came out to the tailor's shop on Christmas Eve to see lots of little brown mice running about, sewing and snipping. The next morning, the tailor woke in a panic, went to the shop and rejoiced to find the mayor's coat perfectly made up and ready for the wedding, but for one 
little buttonhole to finish, for which he now had the twist. Tonight, we open our book to the tale of Benjamin Bunny. So just close your eyes and listen to the sound of my voice as I turn to the next pages of the great big treasury of Beatrix Potter. The Tale of Benjamin Bunny For the Children of Sorry From Old Mr. Bunny One morning, a little rabbit sat on a bank. He pricked his ears and listened to the trit-trot, trit-trot of a pony. A gig was coming along the road. It was driven by Mr. McGregor, and beside him sat Mrs. McGregor in her best bonnet. As soon as they had passed, little Benjamin Bunny slid down the road and set off with a hop, skip, and a jump to call upon his relations who lived in the wood at the back of Mr. McGregor's garden. The wood was full of rabbit holes, and in the neatest, sandiest hole of all lived Benjamin's aunt and his cousins, Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter. Old Mrs. Rabbit was a widow. She earned her living by knitting rabbit wool mittens and muffeties. I once bought a pair at a bazaar. She also sold herbs and rosemary tea and rabbit tobacco, which is what we call lavender. Little Benjamin did not very much want to see his aunt. He came round the back of the fir tree and nearly tumbled upon the top of his cousin Peter. Peter was sitting by himself, He looked poorly and was dressed in a red cotton pocket handkerchief. Peter, said little Benjamin in a whisper, who has got your clothes? Peter replied, the scarecrow in Mr. McGregor's garden, and described how he had been chased about the garden and had dropped his shoes and coat. Little Benjamin sat down beside his cousin and assured him that Mr. McGregor had gone out in a gig, and Mrs. McGregor also, and certainly for the day, because she was wearing her best bonnet. Peter said he hoped that it would rain. At this point, old Mrs. Rabbit's voice was heard inside the rabbit hole, calling, Cottontail, Cottontail, fetch some more chamomile. Peter said he thought he might feel better if he went for a walk. They went away hand in hand and got upon the flat top of the wall at the bottom of the wood, 
From here, they looked down into Mr. McGregor's garden. Peter's coat and shoes were plainly to be seen upon the scarecrow, topped with an old tamashanta of Mr. McGregor's. Little Benjamin said, It spoils people's clothes to squeeze under a gate. The proper way is to climb down a pear tree. Peter fell down head first, but it was of no consequence, as the bed below was newly raked and quite soft. It had been sewn with lettuces. They left a great many odd little footmarks all over the bed, especially little Benjamin, who was wearing clogs. Little Benjamin said that the first thing to be done was to get back Peter's clothes, in order that they might be able to use the pocket handkerchief. They took them off the scarecrow. There had been rain during the night. There was water in the shoes, and the coat was somewhat shrunk. Benjamin tried on the tamashanta, but it was too big for him. Then he suggested that they should fill the pocket handkerchief with onions as a little present for his aunt. Peter did not seem to be enjoying himself. He kept hearing noises. Benjamin, on the contrary, was perfectly at home and ate a lettuce leaf. He said that he was in the habit of coming into the garden with his father to go get lettuces for their Sunday dinner. The name of little Benjamin's papa was old Mr. Benjamin Bunny. The lettuces certainly were very fine. Peter did not eat anything. He said he should like to go home. Presently, he dropped half the onions. Little Benjamin said that it was not possible to get back up the pear tree with a load of vegetables. He led the way boldly towards the other end of the garden. They went along a little walk on planks under a sunny red brick wall. The mice sat on their doorsteps, cracking cherry stones. They winked at Peter Rabbit and little Benjamin Bunny. Presently, Peter let the pocket handkerchief go again. They got amongst the flower pots and frames and tubs. Peter heard noises worse than ever. His eyes were as big as lollipops. He was a step or two in front of his cousin when he suddenly stopped. Little Benjamin took one look, and then, in half a minute less than no time, he hid himself and Peter and the onions underneath a large basket. The cat got up and stretched herself and came and sniffed at the basket. Perhaps she liked the smell of onions. Anyway, she sat down upon the top of the basket. She sat there for five hours. I cannot draw you a picture of Peter and Benjamin underneath the basket because it was quite dark and because the smell of onions was fearful 
made Peter Rabbit and little Benjamin cry. The sun got round behind the wood, and it was quite late in the afternoon. But still, the cat sat upon the basket. At length, there was a pitter-patter, pitter-patter, and some bits of mortar fell from the wall above. The cat looked up and saw old Mr. Benjamin Bunny prancing along the top of the wall of the upper terrace. He was smoking a pipe of rabbit tobacco and had a little switch in his hand. He was looking for his son. Old Mr. Bunny had no opinion whatever of cats. He took a tremendous jump off the top of the wall on to the top of the cat and cuffed it off the basket and kicked it into the greenhouse, scratching off a handful of fur. The cat was too much surprised to scratch back. When old Mr. Bunny had driven the cat into the greenhouse, he locked the door. Then he came back to the basket and took out his son Benjamin by the ears and walloped him with the little switch. Then he took out his nephew, Peter. Then he took out the handkerchief of onions and marched out of the garden. When Mr. McGregor returned about half an hour later, he observed several things which perplexed him. It looked as though some person had been walking all over the garden in a pair of clogs, only the footmarks were too ridiculously little. Also, he could not understand how the cat could have managed to shut herself up inside the greenhouse, locking the door upon the outside. When Peter got home, his mother forgave him because she was so glad to see that he had found his shoes and coat. Cottontail and Peter folded up the pocket handkerchief and old Mrs. Rabbit strung up the onions and hung them from the kitchen ceiling with the bunches of herbs and the rabbit tobacco. The Tale of Two Bad Mice For W.M.L.W. The Little Girl Who Had the Doll's House Once upon a time, there was a very beautiful doll's house. It was red brick with white windows and it had real muslin curtains and a front door and a chimney. It belonged to two dolls called Lucinda and Jane. At least it belonged to Lucinda, but she never ordered meals. Jane was the cook, but she never did any cooking because the dinner had been bought ready-made in a box full of shavings. There were two red lobsters and a ham, a fish, a pudding, and some pears and oranges. 
They would not come off the plates, but they were extremely beautiful. One morning, Lucinda and Jane had gone out for a drive in the doll's perambulator. There was no one in the nursery, and it was very quiet. Presently, there was a little scuffling, scratching noise in a corner near the fireplace, where there was a hole under the skirting board. Tom Thumb put out his head for a moment, then popped it in again. Tom Thumb was a mouse. A minute afterwards, Hunker Munker, his wife, put her head out too, and when she saw that there was no one in the nursery, she ventured out on the old oilcloth under the coal box. The doll's house stood at the other side of the fireplace. Tom Thumb and Hunker Munker went cautiously across the hearth rug. They pushed the front door. It was not fast. Tom Thumb and Hunker Munker went upstairs, and peeping into the dining room, they squeaked with joy. Such a lovely dinner was laid out upon the table. There were tin spoons and lead knives and forks and two dolly chairs, all so convenient. Tom Thumb set to work at once to carve the ham. It was a beautiful, shiny yellow, streaked with red. The knife crumpled up and hurt him. He put his finger in his mouth. It is not boiled enough. It is hard. You have a try, Hunker Munker. Hunker Munker stood up in her chair and chopped at the ham with another lead knife. It's as hard as the hams at the cheesemongers, said Hunker Munker. The ham broke off the plate with a jerk and rolled under the table. Let it alone, said Tom Thumb. Give me some fish, Hunker Munker. Hunker Munker tried every tin spoon in turn. The fish was glued to the dish. Then Tom Thumb lost his temper. He put the ham in the middle of the floor and hit it with the tongs and with the shovel. Bang! Bang! Smash! Smash! The ham flew all into pieces, for underneath the shiny paint, it was made of nothing but plaster. Then there was no end to the rage and disappointment of Tom Thumb and Hunker Munker. They broke up the pudding, the lobsters, the pears, and the oranges. As the fish would not come off the plate, they put it into the bread-hot, crinkly paper fire in the kitchen, but it would not burn either. Tom Thumb went up the kitchen chimney and looked out at the top. There was no soot. While Tom Thumb was up the chimney, Hunker Munker had another disappointment. 
she found some tiny canisters upon the dresser, labelled rice, coffee, sago. But when she turned them upside down, there was nothing inside except red and blue beads. Then those mice set to work to do all the mischief they could, especially Tom Thumb. He took Jane's clothes out of the chest of drawers in her bedroom and threw them out the top floor window. But Hunker Munker had a frugal mind. After pulling half the feathers out of Lucinda's bolster, she remembered that she herself was in want of a feather bed. With Tom Thumb's assistance, she carried the bolster downstairs and across the hearth rug. It was difficult to squeeze the bolster into a mouse hole, but they managed it somehow. Then Hunker Munker went back and fetched a chair, a bookcase, a birdcage, and several small odds and ends. The bookcase and the birdcage refused to go into the mouse hole. Hunker Munker left behind the coal box and went to fetch a cradle. Hunker Munker was just returning with another chair when suddenly there was a noise of talking outside upon the landing. The mice rushed back to their hole and the dolls came into the nursery. What a sight met the eyes of Jane and Lucinda. Lucinda sat upon the kitchen stove and stared, and Jane leaned against the kitchen dresser and smiled, but neither of them made any remark. The bookcase and the birdcage were rescued from under the coal box, but Hunker Munker has got the cradle and some of Lucinda's clothes. She also has some useful pots and pans and several other things. The little girl that the doll's house belongs to said, I would get a doll dressed like a policeman. But the nurse said, I will set up a mouse trap. So that is the story of the two bad mice. But they were not so very, very naughty after all because Tom Thumb paid for everything he broke. He found a crooked sixpence under the hearth rug, and upon Christmas Eve, he and Hunker Munker stuffed it into one of the stockings of Lucinda and Jane. And very early, every morning, before anybody is awake, Hunker Munker comes with her dustpan and broom to sweep the Dolly's house. The tale of Mrs. Tiggywinkle for the real little Lucy of Newlands. Once upon a time, there was a little girl called Lucy who lived at a farm called Little Town. She was a good little girl only she was always losing her pocket handkerchiefs. One day, 
little Lucy came into the farmyard crying. Oh, she did cry so. I've lost my pocket hankin. Three hankins and a penny. Have you seen them, Tabby Kitten? The kitten went on washing her white paws. So, Lucy asked a speckled hen. Sally Hennypenny, have you found three pocket hankins? But the speckled hen ran into a barn, clucking, I go barefoot, barefoot, barefoot. And then Lucy asked Cock Robin, sitting on a twig. Cock Robin looked sideways at Lucy with his bright black eye, and he flew over a stile and away. Lucy climbed upon the stile and looked up at the hill behind Little Town, a hill that goes up, up into the clouds as though it had no top. And a great way up the hillside, she thought she saw some white things spread upon the grass. Lucy scrambled up the hill as fast as her short legs would carry her. She ran along a steep pathway, up and up, until Little Town was right way down below. She could have dropped a pebble down the chimney. Presently, she came to a spring, bubbling out from the hillside. Someone had stood a tin can upon a stone to catch the water, but the water was already running over, for the can was no bigger than an egg cup, and where the sand upon the path was wet, there were footmarks of a very small person. Lucy ran on and on. The path ended under a big rock. The grass was short and green, and there were clothes props cut from bracken stems with lines of plated rushes and a heap of tiny clothespins, but no pocket handkerchiefs. But there was something else. A door, straight into the hill. And inside it, someone was singing. Lily white and clean, oh, with little frills between, oh. Smooth and hot red rusty spot, never here be seen, oh. Lucy knocked once, twice, and interrupted the song. A little frightened voice called out, Who's that? Lucy opened the door, and what do you think there was inside the hill? A nice, clean kitchen with a flagged floor and wooden beams, just like any other farm kitchen. Only the ceiling was so low that Lucy's head nearly touched it, and the pots and pans were small and so was everything in there. There was a nice, hot, singy smell, and at the table, with an iron in her hand, 
stood a very stout, short person staring anxiously at Lucy. Her print gown was tucked up and she was wearing a large apron over her striped petticoat. Her little black nose went sniffle, sniffle, sniffle and her eyes went twinkle, twinkle and underneath her cap where Lucy had yellow curls that little person had prickles. Who are you? said Lucy. Have you seen my pocket hankins? The little person made a bob curtsy. Oh yes, if you please. My name is Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Oh yes, if you please. I'm an excellent clear starcher. And she took something out of the clothes basket and spread it on the ironing blanket. What's that thing? said Lucy. That's not my pocket hankin. Oh, no, if you please. That's a little scarlet waistcoat belonging to Cock Robin. And she ironed it and folded it and put it on one side. Then she took something else off a clothes horse. That isn't my pinny, said Lucy. Oh, no, if you please. That's a damask tablecloth belonging to Jenny Wren. Look how it's stained with currant wine. It's very bad to wash, said Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Mrs. Tiggywinkle's nose went sniffle, 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 and her eyes went twinkle, twinkle, and she fetched another hot iron from the fire. There's one of my pocket hankins, said Lucy, and there's my pinny. Mrs. Tiggywinkle ironed it and goffered it and shook out the frills. Oh, that is lovely, said Lucy. And what are those long yellow things with fingers like gloves? Oh, that's a pair of stockings belonging to Sally Hennypenny. Look how she's worn the heels out with scratching in the yard. She'll very soon go barefoot said Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Why, there's another hanker sniff, but it isn't mine. It's red. Oh, no, if you please. That one belongs to old Mrs. Rabbit, and it did so smell of onions. I've had to wash it separately. I can't get out that smell. There's another one of mine, said Lucy. What are those funny little white things? That's a pair of mittens belonging to Tabby Kitten. (laughs) I only have to iron them. She washes them herself. There's my last pocket hankin, said Lucy. And what are you dipping into the basin of starch? They're little dicky shirt fronts belonging to Tom Titmouse. Most terrible particular, said Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Now I've finished my ironing going to air some clothes. What are those dear, soft, fluffy things? said Lucy. Oh, those are woolly coats belonging to the little lambs at Skelgill. Will their jackets take off? 
asked Lucy. Oh yes, if you please. Look at the sheep mark on the shoulder. And here's one marked for Gatesgarth. And three that come from Littletown. They're always marked at washing, said Mrs. Tiggywinkle. And she hung up all sorts and sizes of clothes. Small brown coats of mice. And one velvety black moleskin waistcoat and a red tailcoat with no tail belonging to Squirrel Nutkin and a very much shrunk blue jacket belonging to Peter Rabbit and a petticoat not marked that had gone lost in the washing and at last the basket was empty then Mrs. Tiggywinkle made tea a cup for herself and a cup for Lucy. They sat before the fire on a bench and looked sideways at one another. Mrs. Tiggywinkle's hand holding the teacup was very, very brown and very, very wrinkly with the soap suds and all through her gown and cap there were hairpins sticking wrong end out so that Lucy didn't like to sit too near her. When they had finished tea, they tied up the clothes in bundles and Lucy's pocket handkerchiefs were folded up inside her clean pinny and fastened with a silver safety pin. And then they made up the fire with turf and came out and locked the door and hid the key under the door sill. Then away down the hill trotted Lucy and Mrs. Tiggywinkle with the bundles of clothes. All the way down the path, little animals came out of the fern to meet them. The very first they met were Peter Rabbit and Benjamin Bunny. She gave them their nice clean clothes and all the little animals and birds were so very much obliged to dear Mrs. Tiggywinkle, so that at the bottom of the hill, when they came to the stile, there was nothing left to carry except Lucy's one little bundle. Lucy scrambled up the stile with the bundle in her hand, and then she turned to say goodnight and to thank the washerwoman. But what a very odd thing. Mrs. Tiggywinkle had not waited either for thanks or for the washing bill. She was running, running, running up the hill. And where was her white frilled cap and her shawl and her gown and her petticoat? And how small she had grown and how brown and covered with prickles. Why, Mrs. Tiggywinkle was nothing but a hedgehog. Now, some people say that little Lucy had been asleep upon the stile, but then how could she have found three clean pocket hankins and a pinny pinned with a silver safety pin. And besides, 
I have seen that door into the back of the hill called Cat Bells. And besides, I am very well acquainted with dear Mrs. Tiggywinkle.